The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Don't let this stylus sweater that I'm wearing fool you. It is indeed still a sweltering hellscape in my hometown of Miami, Florida, where we do this show. It's so damn hot for the second week in a row. I cannot handle this. Like... And this is June, okay? Like, we have just begun this horrific summer journey. Like, there's July coming up after this, and dare I say it, an August to follow. The 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 hot times have only just started to roll, and I, I cannot bear it. I need, I need cool people to counteract all this heat, and we have lots of cool people hanging out with us here on the show this week first. Let's go ahead and bring out producer Lauren. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Ryan. Come hang out with me, you cool person. Got I so much it. great stuff to talk about. Well, I'm here um, in Miami too, so I am quite hot. This is this is merciless. Like, I mean, do is there like recency bias for me here? Like, we've lived in Miami most of our lives. I don't remember. Like, it's always been hot because it's Miami. But like, I feel like this year in particular, it's just a, it's a special kind of nasty outside. It's the sticky, humid thing that we've got going on. It's it's um it's sticky. So it's not just hot. It's uh it's not so much the heat, but the humidity <laughs> that'll kill you. <laughs> and. Whenever people say that, of course, that's unbelievably obnoxious. But it is so true. Here I don't know. I always see cool runnings in my head whenever uh, we make that reference. So even though it's totally applicable here, it still cracks me up because I see a bunch of like Jamaicans getting off into like freezing yeah. cold snow. And I'm like, yes, that. that scene in cool runnings where the Jamaican bobsled team like takes one look outside of the airport in Calgary for the first time. And they just see like the blizzard everywhere. Yep. That the I have the exact opposite when I have to stand at my front door and I just look outside knowing I have to walk to my mailbox um, while I just like have just fire breathing on me like it is it's uh, absolutely miserable. And you're pretty cool, Lauren, but we got more cool joining us on this show to keep the cool coming. Our guest coming up in the next segment, Detroit-based neoclassical pianist Black Bach is going to be joining us. He's going to play a little piano for us, talk about his social activism work, his new album. He's got lots of great advice for the indie creators. Have we had, Lauren, since you've been producing this show, have we had a pianist yet? Is this no, a new one for us? I'm so excited. This you is have cool. no idea. We've had guitar players and we've loved each and every one. And we had a ukist or two. I don't think that's the way you pronounce it. I'm a ukulele player. I should know that. We're going to call them. We've had ukulele players. But I think the, the good old fashioned ivory ticklers, the 88 keys, we haven't had one since this has been a live stream podcast. Old and I'm excited to bring nothing. that to everyone. 
for the record, it's still around and still prominent. There's a lot of like old fashioned instruments. I don't think piano gets to count in there. It's just as new as it is old. Especially the way Blackbach plays it. Like he is putting a new modern spin on classical music. He's played with Rihanna. He's played with Demi Lovato. He's played with Justin Timberlake. He's played with astronauts in outer space. That's a pretty impressive list of duet partners. And he's making classical cool. If you're any kind, if you have any kind of presence on TikTok and you're on, you know about Blackbach. He's great on TikTok. His videos where he's playing are just fantastic. I'm excited to talk to him in the next segment. It's going to be a blast. I'm excited to get to hear it. I don't know if everybody knows he's going to play for us. Yes. So, in sum- summary, you're cool, Lauren. Black right. Box cool. And now I have to talk about something uh, in the intro here that's not nearly as cool. And that's Delaware. <laughs> no hate on Delaware. <laughs> if you're from Delaware, please don't send me any angry emails. But other than being the first state, and I guess Joe Biden's from there, like what else you got? Well, I guess Aubrey Plaza came from there. I do enjoy her quite a bit. She's super cool and funny and talented. But anyway, um, I'll tell you what Delaware has okay. is a crap ton of companies, right? Yeah. We've oh, all yeah. heard about this idea of Delaware being the place to go if you want to start a company. Pretty much every Tax major. Place. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every major Fortune 500 company is set up in Delaware. Is it because they have vast headquarters in Delaware? No, they probably just have like a little post office box set up there, but they go there because conceivably the laws are friendlier, the taxes are friendlier, blah, blah, blah. The problem I have, Lauren, and it's a problem that a lot of entertainment lawyers in my field have, is that we often confront clients who know about this, who know that all the companies are in Delaware and Somebody says, oh, you got to start a company in Delaware. And so a lot of these artists will say, well, I, I, I know I got to start a company. Maybe I should just form one in Delaware like all these other major companies do. Like, I want to be a big time mm-hmm. company. Why shouldn't I also for uh, uh, get started in Delaware? And I thought about this before the show because there's actually a little bit of a Twitter thing going on right now where a bunch of lawyers that I follow are like yelling at people to please stop telling me to to. Uh, Set up your companies in Delaware. And that goes doubly for a lot of indie creators. I get indie creators who are like, can you set up a Delaware corporation for me or a Delaware limited liability company? Because my uncle or my cousin or somebody told me, oh, you got to set up the entities in Delaware. So I want to talk about this before we get into some of the other topics as sort of my public service announcement for everyone. Unless you are a big time company doing big time things, unless you're bringing in investors and you got a complex corporate structure, please stop asking about setting up your companies in Delaware. And why is that? Well, we're going to talk about. So first things first, the best place to set up your company is wherever you are. If you're in Florida, (laughs) set up your company in Florida. If you're in, uh, you know, if you're in Delaware, you can set up your company in Delaware. If you're in Arizona, set it up in Arizona. Don't feel like you have to set it up in one of these quote unquote corporation friendly states because of something uh, your friend told you. Now, there is some truth to the idea that there are some advantages to filing in Delaware. It's there's there's a reason why so many companies are there. OK, they, they do have some favorable corporate law. The corporate taxes are lower. A lot of the big companies like it because uh, you can keep your filings private in Delaware. Like a lot of the same stuff that you might have to disclose as public record. If you file, say here in Florida, you can keep that stuff uh, a lot quieter in Delaware. People actually have to like pay fees and stuff 
to get like even your most basic corporate records. And a lot of corporations like that. Similarly, if you're trying to get like big time institutional investors investing in your company, they're going to want to know that you're in Delaware, most likely, because they're going to want to know that they get it from that favorable corporate law. Right. All of that stuff that I said does not apply to the vast majority, and by which I mean almost all indie creators out there. You don't have the complicated corporate structure necessary to need to go into Delaware. You don't need to keep your filings private. You don't have a bunch of venture capitalists that are trying to invest in your company and insist that you're in Delaware. If you don't have those things and you file Delaware, all you're doing is giving yourself a filing headache. And you're not actually getting out of filing in your own state because if you are, let's say you're a Delaware company, but your headquarters is in the state that you live, which you're going to be if you're an indie artist, say in Florida, Mm-hmm. you're still doing business in Florida. So right. you have to file what's called a foreign qualification. So this crazy Delaware company that you've built, you now need to do a separate filing and pay a separate set of taxes just to get, just so that your Delaware mailbox that you built can do business in the state of Florida. So you're still going to have to file in Florida anyway. Mm-hmm. And now you're paying two sets of fees instead of one and giving yourself a whole lot more of a complicated structure than you need to. And they're charging uh, like the whole commerce within your state or, uh, you know, sending commerce across state borders laws have changed, too. Yeah. Like you're paying (laughs) be where you are, I guess, because, you know, you can be doing business anywhere because with this Internet world, we're all kind of becoming one place anyway. It's kind of silly to move everything around. It's just more paperwork. And and it's exactly that. It's more paperwork. It's one more filing to do. It's one more set of taxes to pay. It's one more thing that you can screw up between you and your lawyer and your accountant that you don't want to. And and I don't say this to discourage artists. The uh, the possibility. Yeah, minimize the ways you can screw up, (laughs) says this lawyer. Yeah. And I don't say any of these things to discourage creators from setting up companies. It is a great idea. For most indie creators to set up a company, you know, set up an LLC in your area, an S corp or something, something where, you know, you can separate your business expenses more easily by having like separate business taxes. It'll make your accountant's life a lot easier come tax time. If all of your entertainment business activities are done with a separate LLC with a Mm -hmm. separate bank account. Mm-hmm. That is, and there are lots of tax advantages to that, particularly with the latest tax bill that gives like a 15% tax cut on uh, any profits from a pass-through business. That's good. Uh, setting up a company can also give you limited liability. If, you're, you know, you, uh, your, enter- if your entertainment activities uh, get involved in some kind of lawsuit, you can be more insulated personally from that lawsuit by having a separate company. Uh, your mileage may vary depending on what state you're in. Again, adhere to the thing I said in the beginning about none of this being legal advice. But generally, <laughs> if you are an indie creator making some amount of money, doing some amount of activity, setting up a company is generally a good idea. But unless you become a multinational brand like your Beyonce or something, <laughs> you don't need to file in Delaware. File in your own state. Take advantage of your own state's laws. Don't make yourself have to file two different corporate filings because you filed in Delaware and then you also need to file in your home state so you can do business in that state. Too many headaches. Keep your life simple 
and uh, you know, take advantage of the in-state uh, corporate filings that are available to you so you can get lots of advantages from that. And on that note, not on that note, um, protecting yourself insurance-wise is awesome. Yes. Uh, which is not an easy thing to do, especially if you're gig to gigging. A lot of um, venues and stuff will require you or ask you if you have something that'll pass on liability uh, to insure your own things. And uh, pitching something that I carry for my companies, but I'm not promoting in any way, um, <laughs> is the <laughs> National Association of Mobile Entertainers name. And uh, they're an organization that does a lot of stuff with DJs and other small things. But if you're touring, performing, going anywhere to live venues, they have some deals with an insurance company that can insure you through multiple venues and where you're traveling and touring. And uh, and it's affordable comparatively to paying for each gig. So whether it's that or something else, yeah, protect yourself with paperwork and protect yourself from liability because it just takes one person getting really mad at you to tie you up in paperwork and legal things and ruin the what you actually want to do in this field. That's great. No, and I... And I know with a lot of your businesses where you're, you know, whether you're managing performers who are traveling the country or, you know, with the the piano business that you have, I know that about all the venue agreements you work with always have like an insurance clause in them where they're saying you got to maintain the insurance. And so something like that, an insurance package that kind of can travel with you mm-hmm. would seem like a great way to, you know, give yourself that liability protection uh, while still being like easy to manage. Yeah, I think it's referred to as a secondary insured. And so like you can have each individual venue have their name put onto your insurance policy each time you get somewhere. An additional insured. And it makes you look so good. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I have that. Hold on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I I know a lot of you know, most artists who are signing those things, they almost always have insurance clauses in them. And I know a lot of artists who just ignore that. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with clients where they ignored that and something (laughs) went wrong. And what could have been a simple matter for the insurance companies to sort through uh, now became lawsuits that they were personally involved with. And it's almost always better. It's always better when you have an insurance company. So uh, I got another listener question here, Lauren. That I like this. Uh, yeah, I like those too, uh, mainly because it's less work for me because, you know, sometimes coming up with topics is hard, but every once in a while you get a question that comes in the email and you're like, oh, content, like blessed one. content yeah. uh, It's from a musician, Lauren. The question is, I'm working out a contract with a producer. He says he wants points. What are points? Is that like a percentage of the money that I am getting? That is a great, great question. And what I like about this question is that the use of the term points is such a a nice demonstration of how the music industry has evolved past some of the terminology that we use. Hmm. So the term points uh, comes from the old days when like artists were signed, you know, to major label deals. So when you're signed to a label deal, the uh, label gives you a royalty, right? Like 15% or 18% of the MSRP of the record that sold at Specs Music or Kmart or back when we used to buy music Specs. in stores. Uh-huh. And and so if you wanted a producer to produce your record, as most artists do, they don't self-produce, particularly back then, is you you know to compensate the producer for their work, you would give them points, which is 
a basically some of your percentage that you're getting from the label. So if the label is giving you a 15% royalty and the producer is getting four points, you would then give four of those 15 percentage points to the producer. So now you're getting 11 and the producer is getting four. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of producers still kind of hold firm to that notion. Like, oh, I got to get points on this deal. Um, the problem with the use, the notion, the use of points, especially for indie creators is if you're not working with a record label deal mm -hmm. where you're only getting like 15%, a producer getting points doesn't really work anymore because an indie creator isn't just getting 15% of the royalty. They're an indie creator. They own mm -hmm. it. They're getting a hundred percent. So the producer shouldn't be getting four points because that's only 4% of a hundred percent you you have to kind of I was multiply say, is a, point, a percent because i i've heard of i think i've heard of like the the one to four deals or something like that a one to two where it's like once it starts making profit for every two dollar or every dollar that comes in yeah you get two and i get one or something Those well the... it, we do use a multiplier right so like when yeah. when producers say oh i got to get points on this deal well, we, we say oh well this isn't a label artist so we have to do kind of like a multiplier. So instead of getting like four points, we might multiply that by like four or five, where you're getting like 15% or 25% to make the money kind of equal. If we were talking about a label artist versus a uh, non-label artist. So mm -hmm. if you're, if you're an independent creator and you're working with a producer, um, there's different ways you can compensate them. So in terms of points, you wouldn't say points, what you'd instead say is a percentage of net revenues. What I've often done in producer deals is I'll say to the producer, we're going to give you 20% of net revenues. So what we're going to say is all the money that comes in from like CD baby or distro kid or something, mm -hmm. we're going to, uh, you know, after I, after the artist pays off the recording costs and pays off the producer fee. So if the producer gets anything up front, we're going to, you know, we're going to pay that off first. Once mm -hmm. all that's paid off and the artist is like broke even, then the producer starts getting 20% of everything that comes in. So the artist takes 80, producer takes 20. And so now let's talk about this producer fee, right? Because some producers, they don't just want back end. They, they want something up front, particularly because a lot of indie creators, they may not see any money or any significant money from their recording unless it becomes like a massive hit on Spotify. So many producers want a little something up front. And a producer fee can be anywhere from nothing if the, if the producer is like super green, um, but it can be, you know, 5,000, 25,000. Some of the top producers can demand, you know, $100,000 for, you know, their work on a track if they're one of these super duper stars. And so, yeah, you'll, you'll get the points and you'll get the, uh, the back end, you know, royalties, 20, 25%, 15%, whatever you negotiate. And then the third thing that we're seeing a lot more with producer agreements now is something on the songwriting side. Mm. These days, as you can imagine, Lauren, the line between producer and songwriter, particularly in genres like hip hop and dance, are becoming very blurred. Okay. You know, rare is the producer these days in pop music or hip hop that isn't suggesting some lyrics. Maybe that isn't adding a verse to the song or I changing made that the beat chorus. And that yeah. beat that I put into the track is what everybody knows. Yeah. Well, especially in hip hop, because traditionally mm -hmm. we wouldn't necessarily think of the beat as part of the original written song, right? We would we'd say that, oh, that's part of the master. But in hip hop, the <laughs> beat is so often like the heart and soul of a song. 
And so you might say, oh, no, that kind of makes me a songwriter in this project. Right. And so for and that's the a change. producer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, for yeah, we used to like separate songwriters and producers, and now you well, can't. Well, producers do that. used to do that stuff. I hate to say, like for free, or included in what they did. Like <laughs> yeah. they, as a producer, I give to the creative process by fleshing out the words and melody that you wrote. But in the digital age, like that's so much a part of the music we hear that it is part of the song creation and not just fluff around your lyrics and uh, melody line. Like it's it's different world. That's that's right. Um, right. Yeah. So a piece of the producer pie, uh, the piece of the songwriting pie, increasingly common. And so that could be another way to compensate producers. If that producer is in the studio with you, uh, part of the songwriting process, then maybe you want to give them a piece of the songwriting, a piece of the publishing. And that's another revenue stream for the producer. Um, actually, we had a great commenter that just popped in, Sherry Lynn, uh, who herself, a uh, Sherry Lynn, the commenter, amazing songwriter and producer saying that in sync um that's also very common so that's another way that producers can get compensated um in a production deal is sometimes that a, the final master is synced or you know used in a tv show in a commercial in a movie or something mm -hmm. and there's revenue produced from that and so typically the producer's fee you'll give the producer a piece of that that you know of that revenue that comes in usually the same percentage 15 20 25 percent whatever you negotiate. The moral of the story is to bring it back to the question asker here is if you're not working with a traditional label artist, if you're working with an independent creator, as most producers are these days, you don't need to don't use the term points because it's antiquated. And if you're a producer, you, and, and you only ask for points, like you ask for three points, you might only be getting 3%. And that's kind of undershooting your worth there. Start thinking less in terms of points, you know, get rid of, get out of the old label world and get into the new world of just percentage of revenues, whether right. it's 20, 25%, because that's to, that's a good way to ensure that as a producer, you're getting paid what you're worth. And as an artist, you know, you're paying producers what they deserve. Yeah, it's all just terminology. They want to make people feel like outsiders. If you don't know what it means, that means you're not in the business. That's well, <laughs> right. Because like, I mean, it sounds cool, right? Oh, like, I got four points on this there. deal. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. you know, it's 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 antiquated. You know, it's like, you know, it's referring to like wax cylinders or whatever. Like it's a, <laughs> for most artists, it's, it's a, it's a product of a bygone era, unless you're working with these major label artists that are getting, uh, you know, percentage royalty deals, like 15% or 11% or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. One more topic that I wanted to chat about real quick before okay. we bring in Black Bach here. And, oh God, I'm so excited. I can't no. remember the last time I've been this excited for an interview. That being said, Robert Randolph last week was pretty cool. Yeah. Just but really, he didn't play piano for me. That's true. But <laughs> it's just a testament to how great the guests are have been on this program lately. Yeah. I'm just every one of them, just banger after banger. It's great. So we're gonna bring him on in just a second. But first, wanted to chat about an article okay. that I saw earlier this month in the DIY musician blog about different types of videos that artists can make. I love the topic of video because speaking of things that have changed with the times. The types of videos that artists can create have changed so much just in the last 20 or 30 years. When we think of a music video in the conventional sense, Lauren, right? You think of these big budget productions 
these, you know, crazy music videos. Like back when we were growing up, Lauren, watching MTV, like music videos were big productions. Like I think of MTV generation. Oh my God. Like, like what were some of the ones from our childhood where they just like the budgets were insane. Like a scream by Michael Janet Jackson. Oh yeah. That was fun completely absurd the budget of that video like it was it was more than what some motion pictures are made for these days oh yeah and because of that a lot of today's artists can be sort of afraid of video where they say i don't have the budget to make a music video like i and i don't have the team i don't have the videographers and the directors and just everything that goes into it and and so they don't make that part of their arsenal. But what this article in DIY, DIY Musician blog talks about is that there are so many other kinds of videos that have emerged that are a lot cheaper to do, a lot easier to do, and bring you a lot more return on investment dollar for dollar than the budget that you would put in for a traditional massive budget kind of music videos. And okay. um, one of the ones that this one talks about that I think in terms of return on investment, you're going to be hard pressed to find a better one is instead of a traditional music video, which there is still a place for, but if you're an early artist, maybe it's not where you start. And instead where you might want to start is a lyric video. Are you familiar mm. with these? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. a big thing now. Yeah. Just it's a, which is know, so it, simple, but yeah. Yeah. So simple. It's just a, it's your song. Uh, with the, the lyrics printed. And the simplest version of it can just be kind of like a PowerPoint where you just show the lyrics like karaoke <laughs> It's like karaoke, style. right? Exactly. But people, not only does it help your video, but like people want to sing along. And if mm -hmm. you've got a lyric-heavy song, people are more uh, apt to take in your story if they can read along with you. Yeah, it gives people a window into your process, which is mm -hmm. super, super cool. You know, people get to like, there are always those, there are always those songs where you love them and you get obsessed with them. And then the first time you actually read the lyrics, you <laughs> love them a thousand times more. Or the opposite. How many people are, I'm like, Oh God, with that. And she's like, you know, I've never actually listened to the words. I'm like, what? <laughs> How do That's you right. not know what's being sang right now? That's right. Well, either way, like uh, either, the lyrics might even make you love the song a lot more or be like, oh, God, that's what I've been singing. Ooh. But either way, you need to know. And so a lyric video can help you know. And while the simplest version of a lyric video can just be basically a PowerPoint where the lyrics are shown in synchroniz synchronization with the song in a simple kind of static format. The lyric video itself has become something of an art form. A lot of the big time artists are using these. They're hiring like top digital animators to create these really cool lyric videos where cool graphics happen so you can get creative with them but if you think that's a little beyond your budget i might suggest another kind of lyric video that to me lauren this is like one of the coolest ideas i have heard in a long time okay. i've been preaching this for years in the realm of lyric videos because i saw an artist do it once and it blew me away a crowdsourced lyric video oh what a cool idea like yes. you get your fans to each do like send you things and then you can mash them all together. Is you that... get your fans to each put up like one line of the lyric that inspires them the most and they can, you know, display the lyric in any way that they want, you know, you know, in whatever form they want. Yeah. And then you run them through like a slideshow. You're allowing your fans to contribute. They get to be part of the experience. I'm going to give you all some homework. I know everybody loves a when a podcast gives them a homework assignment, but do it. It'll be worth it, okay? There is a song, one of my favorite songs. I mean, 
putting aside how amazing the lyric video is, just one of my favorite songs, period. Okay. It is called I Believe by Christina Perry. Okay. Christina Perry uh, created a lyric video for this that was fan sourced. Okay. So you can, where basically she invited all of her fans on Instagram to create like Instagram photos of each line of the song. It is beautiful. It is a masterpiece. And it was so easy for her to put together because the fans contributed everything. It was a super simple editing process and it allowed her fans to kind of translate what the song meant to them. And it was such a cool experience. And I love the song. I love the video and think about how easy that would be for a lot of indie creators and how much their fans would enjoy it. Yeah. People like, people like watching themselves. Like they'll tune in to see if they made the video, like, you know, not in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, in a, in a in a rewarding way, thank you for paying attention to me. And they go, oh, look, it's me. And then they tell their friends, and it's advertisement, and it's networking, and it's community building. Lauren, I can't tell you. This is my crusade. I cannot tell you how many artists I have, how many clients of mine I have tried to sell on the Christina Perry style fan sourced lyric video. I've had this talk with so many clients. I'm trying to get so badly one of them to do it because I know it's going to be successful, but nobody wants to take creative suggestions from the lawyer, right? Ah, whatever. Just go read a contract. But I'm telling you, this is such a good idea. Viewers, look at me. All right. I never look directly into the camera. I'm looking directly into the camera. Somebody do this because I'm telling you, it's going to be a good idea for you. It, it gets your fans engaged. It gets you engaged. It's super easy to put together, unlike so many lyric videos can be. This is a win, 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 man. And it makes everybody happy. Like, and that's I mean, hopefully you want your audience to be happy. entertained. Right, exactly. I mean, you can be playing other stuff, but you want people to be entertained or you wouldn't be an entertainer. That's right. And anytime <laughs> you can get your fans involved in general, just, yeah. you know, why not? Because, yeah, it it engages them. They'll feel part of the experience and it's less work for you. Anytime you can outsource <laughs> to your fans, you got to do it, man. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I'm excited for what's coming up in the next segment. Let us, let us take a break. Let us stretch out and let us come back in two minutes. We got black Bach joining us next on break the business. Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you a lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. 
thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Carella and producer Lauren here. Just thanking you from wherever you're checking us out for checking us out. And a special thank you, a big old one one kisses to our lovely humans over at Slam Radio Sirius XM 145 for giving us a satellite radio home that we have just very, we have just made our, ourselves at this home. We've put our feet up. We are loving the it. fridge and just loving every minute of it. Because we get to bring amazing creators on that platform to all of you like we're going to do right now. Our guest this week, let's go ahead and bring him on. He is a neoclassical pianist, originally from Detroit, who has played with Rihanna, Justin Timberlake, Demi Lovato, Cirque du Soleil, and more. The deluxe version of his debut album, Black Book, is available now. And you can find out more about his work by visiting www.blackbock.com. That is B-L-K-B-O-K.com. We are happy to welcome Black Bock. On to break the business. Hello. Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? <laughs> All right. I'm going to start by asking like the saddest, nerdiest question in the world. And so just oh, forgive me okay. right up front. I'm just going <laughs> to derail this by how like uncool and nerdy this is. Okay. Do I call you Bach? Is that is that what you prefer? Yeah. Like if we're, if we're looking for something shorter, I can, I can go with the full black Bach. How are we doing? You can call me Bach. That's everybody does. Well, oh, I, I, yeah. I, and I do want to be everybody. That's yeah, you, cool. you fit right. in that. Yeah. So I gotta say, man, I've been digging your TikTok. I, you know, I've come across your TikTok well before I had you coming on the show. So, like, when your publicist emailed and said, uh, "Would you like to have Black Mark? I was like, "Yeah, I would," because uh, his TikToks are awesome. And and one of the first things I wanted to ask you, if I ever had the opportunity to meet with you, is just to kind of talk about the beginning. All right, because I'm just imagining. All right. This is, uh, you know, you you were just as much influenced by the hip hop scene of Detroit as you are by the you know classical music. Oh, and all the way back to the originals, including Bach. And I'm just imagining you being an eight year old piano prodigy. You're growing up in Detroit, and everybody around you is listening to hip hop, and you're being inspired by it. But you're also playing classical music in your house. And yeah. I'm sure your friends like thought that was super cool and didn't ever make fun of you once for it. <laughs> Um, so no, that's not get, <laughs> talk, talk about that experience. What was that it like is... kind of living those two musical lives simultaneously back oh my then? Gosh, it was so weird. Like my, my sister, who's a little bit older than me, she's also a pianist. And we used to complain to our parents all the time. Like, like, mom, we're not normal. We just used to hate, like we thought we weren't normal kids. It would just be so bad. Like, you know, my friends would come and the back room of my house, uh, growing up was where the piano room was. And my friends would come knock on the window and they have the basketball and they're like, come on, come on, let's go play. And I'm like, nah, bro, I got to practice. They're like, oh, you suck, you suck. And then they <laughs> run off. So it was not easy. You know, it was, it was really um, a, a bit of a challenge. But the thing that was really cool was I had a middle school band director and mm. she would have me perform like every week in front of the students. And I always wondered, why did she have me do this? But part of it was to get out of, to break out of that nervousness. If you can perform in front of your peers, you can perform in front of anyone. So, yeah. you know, a, a lot of it was, uh, you know, 
that ebb and flow, that balance of trying to figure out like, okay, am I listening to Ice Cube today or am I listening to Rachmaninoff? Like, you know, <laughs> trying to figure it all out. And it was just a crazy balance. Your teacher but, had such a good point about that in terms yeah. of being able to perform for either of those groups. Because at that age, I would have sooner performed in front of 100,000 strangers Absolutely. than five of the people I went to elementary <laughs> school with. Well, so how did you get exposed to the classical music? Did you find it yourself? Did your parents just sort of force it on you? Like, how did this oh, get into your life? Oh, hell yeah. My mom, my mom's rule was, <laughs> if you don't practice, you don't eat. Well, that so, was my question when you were like, I got to practice. I was like, I was that eat. choice or was no, that like, uh, do it, was, it? It was forced. It was forced. I mean, I, she had a really good thing that she wanted to do. Both of my parents, I give them both credit for this. They said, um, I could... I could do anything else. I played sports, I did everything, but piano was there to teach me discipline. And I could do anything I wanted to up until age 18. She said, if you want to quit piano at 18, you're an adult, you can do that. But you have to keep consistent on this because I need to teach you what it's like to be disciplined. So it was really, uh, you know, she had a, a little bit of a insight into what it would take um, to be a musician. And then I fell in love with it, you know, and the rest is history. Man. She didn't teach you with a ruler. <laughs> no, but my piano instructor, he might as well have had a ruler. He was strict. Oh, he was strict. My father, father used to tell me stories when he would get piano lessons that if he played a wrong note, they would hit his finger. Uh, like, talk about, like, terrible memories of playing piano, but, like... Awesome. That's trauma. <laughs> that's yeah, I know. You're like, they forced me. I'm like, yeah. well, I'm glad you turned around and loved it because yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Once the piano is playing in your head, I think you can you think in those in that language. Yeah, very true. Well, I'm Bach. I'm I'm blown away not just by how well you play, which if anybody you know goes and checks out your music, it's obvious like incredible amount of skill there. But in the way that you blend genres, I would have never thought that hip hop and classical would blend together so well. These two genres emerging centuries apart from each other. Mm -hmm. Why do they fit so well together with you? Like, are there common musical threads there that like, I don't understand yet? Absolutely. Like they're first cousins. Like they're, they're, wow. they have the same harmonic, the same melodic structure. It's just one was, was written in a time where things were a little bit more, um, I wouldn't even want to say technical. It was just a little bit more expressive then. Um, we didn't have, Back in that day, they didn't have as much uh, lyrical content. So everything was about very emotional content. And I think that when you, you know, it's just a difference in time. It's not a difference in approach or a difference in notes. It's the same stuff. Um, and I, I think that, you know, people get it confused. They think that, you know, because this is a new thing, it only belongs in this thing. But every genre has a common thread. Every one of them has a common thread. It's just about getting in there and exposing that thread. You certainly do that. And you have parlayed that exploring of that thread and these amazing works that you do into getting to perform yeah. with some pretty huge names in music. We talked about how you've played with Rihanna and Justin Timberlake. You've played a duet with an astronaut in outer space. You weren't in space, but they were in space. No. <laughs> but you play together like... What is like, is there one time and I'm sure there's been more than one time, but what's the one time where you're playing with somebody or you're playing with somebody on the piano and they're singing or whatever. And you're like, and you're having the pinch me moment. Like, how did I get here? This is amazing. 
Yeah, I've had uh, so many of those. I've had I, I've had so many of those pinch me moments. Like I can't believe it. I mean, the HBO special with Justin Timberlake for uh, Future Sex Love Sound, uh, with Rihanna on the Loud Tour. There was a segment where I would get on the piano, she would sit on the piano. It would go fifty feet in the air, and then it would spin around every night. And I'm just hanging over the audience with Rihanna playing a song. I mean, the the performance with an astronaut in space, like so awesome. I'm still having these moments. Like two weeks ago, I just performed at MoMA, which was like, to play at the Museum of Modern Art has been on the top of my bucket list. So I'm on stage and I'm like, is this really real? Um, so I just continue to have these moments and I, and I just I just think this is, uh, I'm just having a wonderful career. That's all I can say. I'm having Aww. a great time here. God, that's yeah. so inspiring. How did the outer space thing happen? Like. Um, just, just like, like you get a phone call. Hi, this is NASA. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no. Um, so, so my manager, um, she happens to work also with astronauts. Um, and oh, naturally. We, yeah, just you know, I, at first I, I was like, huh? She said, yeah, I, I manage astronauts too. I'm like, huh? How does that happen? How did I didn't you even know that. Yeah. <laughs> how did that happen? But um, she works with this astronaut, Michael Lopez Alegria, and Michael's a little bit of a pianist. Um, and he was the commander for the first commercial space flight hosted by Axiom Space uh, and NASA. And he, he basically, he fell in love with the piece. It was called Stars at Astra. And um, he said, let's make a moment out of this. So he said, when I go up to the ISS, we're gonna shoot down a signal and we're gonna play the song together. And the rest is history. Now we're written in the books. So yeah. this this is going to be a super like audio geek question here, but we had a we had a, a few weeks back we had a guest a, a CEO of a company called Jack Trip Labs uh, mm -hmm. who is creating this technology that allows people to play together remotely simultaneously without any lag because he right. talked about like if you're if you're like you know on one side of the country and somebody else is on the other side of the country and you try to play over Zoom or something, it's right. not going to work. So how are you able to play a duet with somebody in outer freaking space? Yeah. Like, the secrets. No! <laughs> I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of a, a technical... Um, I had a great team, though. I will say this. The team down in, um, in Florida, they really helped me out. We kind of hacked the game a little bit of how we should do it. Only um, NASA can pull this off. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. One of those, like <laughs> only these guys have the technology to pull this off. So um, it really went off really well. Uh, it's classified. I, it's classified. I can't tell you, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's bonkers. But you could like when not the how, mm -hmm. but real time you were hearing and working when you're doing that project. Like He's it was said real to you. Again. <laughs> What's like, happening? You ask one more question, yeah, Lord, like this is... a bunch of dudes in so like I know a dark just gonna van come in are going to pull just... <laughs> They're going to take me first. Yeah. So it was a great experience. It was and an we'll amazing experience. We'll be finishing this interview with our producer and guest <laughs> in Guantanamo. Exactly. Because <laughs> we asked too many questions about, yeah. the, about the Outer Space Music Project. Yes. But it's so, <laughs> so, so amazing. I'm, I'm in awe of the incredible experiences you've got to have as a musician. And 
I mean, just deep down, you must be thankful that your mom glued you to a piano until you were 18. So you got Absolutely. to do this stuff. Absolutely. What an amazing woman. What an amazing vision. She and my uh, pianist, my piano instructor, they just had a vision and, and they executed it perfectly. And you That's managed wonderful. to parlay that art into a lot of great social causes. One of the things that we love around here when we have guests talk about how they're using their art, they're using their creativity, they're using their skill to make the world a better place. And you're certainly doing that. You have the what's going on social series, which is just one way that social activism plays a role in your music. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. So once a month on my Instagram, uh, the third Friday of every month, I post a short piece. Actually, I write a short piece that speaks to something that we're dealing with at the moment. Um, There have been pieces about uh, social injustice, about uh, missing girls, uh, how how uh, black and colored women don't get as much press when they go missing. Um, one's about uh, uh, Julius, the case of Julius Jones, who was uh, sentenced to be executed, and about an hour before it was happened, he got a pardon. Uh, he always claimed his innocence. Um, so there are very important things that are going on in our society, and sometimes they just don't get the press or the coverage that they need. And I feel that this is an opportunity for me to use my voice, the piano, to bring a little bit more attention to some of these things. That's wonderful. And have you found that doing this kind of work, is it getting some positive response, some impact? Are you, are you hearing feedback? Absolutely. So after I post, the, I usually post this song around 2 p.m. Um, and then I do an Instagram live at 3 just to talk about the topic. And all kind of people from all different places chime in. And we have this great discussion um, I've met some amazing, wonderful people who have been put in some very difficult places and have managed to make their way out and have give, and come on and give great insights and tell each of us how we can do better for each other. And I think that that love and that fellowship is something that's so needed. And um, it's been an amazing experience. That's tremendous. What a great conversation you're creating yeah. using your using your music and using your platform. Really, really inspiring stuff. I'm just in awe of a lot of the stuff that you're creating, whether it's on your TikTok, whether it's with the artists you collaborate with, whether you are uh, literally sending your music to the stars and back um, or doing this social series stuff. It's it's really, really cool. And I do want to give people an opportunity just to, you know, hear the music that you're creating. You have a new album out, the deluxe version of Black Book. It's available now. It just came out, what, this week? Yeah, it's Friday the 17th. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there was a song that um, uh, your publicist said, this is the one we have to, you have to have Black Box play because this is an amazing piece. Um, the song's called The Hustle is Real. Can you tell us a little bit about it before you play it? Okay, so uh, when I started writing this album, which I never anticipated, I will say this. I, have, uh, I didn't go to music conservatory. I never took composition classes. So everything that you hear from me is one big experiment. I never actually knew that I could write classical music until I started doing it. Um, But I was involved in a program called the Creators Workshop, which was a 100-day commitment to write every day, which I did. I finished my album in 121 consecutive days. But this program was me playing music every day or snippets of music and posting them to this platform. And I was along with some 300 other students, and we were all kind of doing this together. So it just became like a daily hustle for all of us. And I wrote this piece initially to honor everyone that had been through this experience with me. Um, But then I found that there's people everywhere 
that every day they wake up like you guys and hustle and, and work to do something to get themselves or their families or their kids or something to a better place in their life. And that's who I wrote this song for and that's who it's dedicated to. It's called The Hustle Is Real. Yeah. Oh, man, that's fantastic. So inspiring. All right. We're going to clear the path here so that Black Bach can play this. I know we've all been waiting for you to play something, so this is going to be great. This is The Hustle is Real by Black Bach here on Break the Business. Black Bach, everybody here on Break the Business. Check out his uh, new album, the deluxe version of Black Book. It's available now. Bach, that was incredible. 
incredible, man. <laughs> any of Thank the at-home listeners, at-home listeners, any of our listeners on XM Radio or there that did not watch this live need to, like, go back onto our page and watch him. <laughs> You play beautifully. Thank you. Thank you so much. But you do it with your whole body. Like <laughs> watching your face go on the journey that you're taking us on musically. Like people need to come watch you play that because that was quite entertaining. Thing. You are so right about that, Lauren. The, the, the audio only folks are missing out on two key visual components of his performance. One is just the expressive way that him and his body moves. The other one that's a little harder to notice but is nonetheless very cool visually are black box fingernails yeah so cool the fingernails look at that oh man dazzling Piano players that can play like even boogie style like when you get to watch your fingers move really fast always entertaining but when you add like texture and color elements i'm always like oh there's the red one like <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so yeah. much fun well, you, you seem like you're pretty purposeful about those fingernails. Like a lot of Absolutely. like th a lot of manicuring must be going into those to make them look that great. Absolutely. I think it's it's another way of I mean, I'm an artist. It's another form of expression. It's another way to connect. Like I think that, you know, there uh, what we do is based in layers. And if there's another way that you can bring people into your world, that's what the colors for. That's what the, the other form of, I, plus it's another way for me to express myself. Um, like some, like for instance, I work with Yamaha and I just did a, a convention for them and I played the new CFX. So CFX is written on, written on my nails. Yeah. Nice. You know, and the other <laughs> one is our piano keys. So, you Yay! know, it's just another way to bring people into my world. So you're playing the piano keys with the piano the keys. Piano exactly keys. Right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. So when yeah. you look down and those facial expressions are going into the piano, you're watching the piano on the piano and it's totally entertaining you, isn't it? N no, I'm usually <laughs> eyes closed. I'm usually eyes closed and breathing. Like, in there. Yeah. Fully in the zone. Fully immersed. Nice. Yeah. So, so cool. Well, thank you for uh, allowing us to, to hear that song. That was such a joy. Before we let you go, uh, okay. Bach, one last question we want to ask you for all the indie creators out there. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their oh, careers forward? I have a great tip for indie creators. Find your voice. Hmm. That is the most important thing. Do not be afraid of being different because you are different. Your voice is different. Um, a lot of times when I lived in LA, I would go into sessions and they would say, hey, we want something like this person. And I would say, hey, you know, we're only being silver medalists here, guys. There's no way for us to get the gold with the music that we're creating is because we're creating something that someone has already done. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to take some time, remove yourself from the rest of the world and discover what really is authentic to you. And not only just in your music and your creativity, but in yourself. Who you are, what you are, is the most important thing on this planet. And the relationship you have with you is more important than any relationship. So nurture that, feed that, and beautiful music will come from that. I love That's that. great insight, Bach. This has been a real treat, man. Look, listen to me. You want to come back anytime you want. Oh. Doors always open. Awesome. We love your insight. We love your energy. We yes. love your music. Happy to have you on again whenever you want to come. I want to hang out with his community. Yeah. Right? I want to be a member of your you community. Like you I'm going to sit there and like listen to the talkbacks after these emotional playing. Like 
I'll go on that journey with you. Yeah, yes. you guys yeah. are. Thank you for having me. This was so cool. This was so awesome. Like, I will come back anytime. I promise. Fabulous. We'll right, take, take you care. up on that. Thank you yes. so much. <laughs> totally Thank you so will. much. You guys enjoy. Oh, how about that, man? I, like I just, him. I am. I'm I'm blown away by the level of skill there and just um and how it's if he's right it's got his music has the classical elements in it you know the ABA sections that you you expect and all that stuff but you can definitely tell the hip hop influences are there the pop influences are there and he really is carving his own path and doing something different and people are responding whether it is kids on TikTok who are obsessed with him or mm. it is the biggest names in music who want them want him playing piano for them. Um, or, or if it's, it's your just, humble producer, who's totally going to be sitting there listening to piano music all night, <laughs> just putting that out there. <laughs> and your endorsement's certainly meaningful. You work with piano players for a living. You have worked alongside some of the most skilled piano players in the world. And I saw the look on your face while he was fit yeah. playing and you were blown away by it. He holds his own. I mean, he like he doesn't know this. No, but he uh, <laughs> he could totally tour with any of my guys, and I would not be ashamed. He'd be amazing. Yes, indeed. And I look, there's plenty more where that came from, viewers and listeners. I encourage you to check out uh, blackbox.com. That's B-L-K-B-O-K.com, so you can just fall in love with his music. Check out his TikTok as well. It is a absolute treat. And just and join you know, the community on Instagram. Yes. And, I'm going to be hanging out there now. So you have yes. to come hang out with me. <laughs> the great guests keep on coming viewers and listeners next week. We're going to be joined by songwriter and producer Chevy Smith. Really, really great artist. That's going to be another great, great one. I mean, we, we got a little, we got a little winning streak going here, Lauren, of just incredible guests who are blowing us away week after week. And frankly, I owe that to the viewers and listeners because the kind of folks in the industry who put people on shows like this know the community we're building. They know what we're doing around here. They love it. And because of that support, we get amazing creators like Black Bach joining us week after week and just really making this show something special. It's so much fun to work. I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, our thanks to Black Bach. My thanks to you, Lauren, as always, for keeping the uh, producer train running here on this show. And thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.